If you would turn with me in a Bible to Exodus. Exodus is the second book in the Bible, so start at Genesis, go forward, and you'll find Exodus pretty quickly. Exodus chapter 2. Uh, we've begun our journey through the book of Exodus under the heading from bondage to belonging. That was the journey that God led the Israelites on, that this book chronicles. And that's the journey that Christ, uh, that's what Christ offers in an even deeper and broader way uh, to all those who come to him. Uh, that we might be freed from bondage to sin and death and brought into fellowship with him, belonging to him, uh, obeying him, and uh, having him dwelling with us. So uh, we're at the beginning of the story, and let me read Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 25. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, I think that's page 53 in the Pew Bibles. So chapter 2, beginning at verse 11 of the book of Exodus. Uh, One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So how does God shape us into the people that he wants us to become? That's the topic of this morning's passage. Uh, Last week, we read the account of Moses' birth and his early childhood in the first part of chapter 2. But in uh, verse 11, where we begin today, Moses is now grown up. Uh, According to Acts chapter 7, verse 23, Moses was about 40 years old at this time. And by the end of chapter 2... Uh, Moses was almost 80 years old. We know that because his age is referenced in Exodus chapter 7, verse 7. So this chapter that we've just read covers a long period of time. Uh, By contrast, the rest of the book of Exodus, chapter 3 to the end of chapter 40, happens all within a year or two. So this is part of the introduction to Exodus, covering a long period of time in Moses' life and focusing on just a few important events that uh, happened during that time. And, you know, if you read through different parts of the Bible, this is a common pattern. 
So if you look at the New Testament Gospels, they tell us a bit about Jesus' birth, two of them do, and then Luke tells us one story about when Jesus was 12, but then the rest of that, uh, the Gospels, focus entirely on three years in Jesus' life, from when Jesus was about 30 uh, to his crucifixion and resurrection uh, during the years of his public ministry. So the Bible isn't a comprehensively detailed history of the world that will answer all of our curious questions. Uh, and in fact, if the Bible did include every historical and biographical detail that people had, have ever wondered about, the Bible would be so long that none of us could ever hope to read it in our whole lifetime. And there would be so many details that we could never hope to figure out what the main point is. So we can actually be thankful to God uh, that God hasn't told us every detail of Moses' life or every detail of the people of Israel's experience, uh, but he's given us what he thinks we need to know. And uh, what we see in this section is that God was preparing Moses to lead his people out of bondage in Egypt and to uh, teach them what it would mean to belong to God. Uh, but what we see in this uh, passage we've just read is that the road Moses traveled was not a smooth one, but a bumpy one. Moses starts out in the Egyptian royal household. Verse 10 tells us he was being raised by Pharaoh's, one of Pharaoh's daughters, but he ends up saying, I'm a stranger in a foreign land. And he's living among the Midianites who were a semi-nomadic people. They didn't have, even have a sort of stable place where they settled permanently. They moved from place to place. So, so Moses, uh, you know, when we look at this path, we think, well, he went from the halls of power to the middle of nowhere. Where's this story going, right? Uh, but actually, through a sort of bumpy road, God was preparing Moses and shaping him into who God wanted Moses to become. <coughs> so today, I want to look at four bumps in the road that God used to shape Moses and that God uses to shape us. Number one, an encounter with oppression, verse 11 and 12. Number two, an experience of rejection, verses 13 and, uh, through 15. Number three, a season of exile, verse 16 to 22. And number four, the prayers of his people. Uh, so we'll go through... Uh, these sort of stages in Moses' story and how God used each of them to shape Moses for the future. So first, an encounter with oppression. Uh, according to verse 10 of chapter 2, since Moses was three or four years old, that was the time when babies were normally weaned back then, uh, he had been raised by one of Pharaoh's daughters, who was his adoptive mother. Uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 22 uh, says Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Uh, now, other his, now, Exodus doesn't describe Moses' education in Pharaoh's household at all, but other historical sources from ancient Egypt indicate that boys raised in uh, the Pharaoh's household were usually educated for 12 years, and that was much longer than anyone else in ancient Egypt would have been educated, uh, learning mostly reading, writing, math, uh, and some other topics. Uh, another thing is uh, we might think that since Moses was raised by Pharaoh's daughter that he uh, was sort of on a first name basis with Pharaoh and had a lot of interactions with Pharaoh, but that probably was not the case. Most Pharaohs had no, uh, numerous wives and children. One Pharaoh, Ramses II, had over 200 wives and we know the names of 111 of his sons and 59 of his daughters. 
uh, Moses was just an adopted grandchild. So uh, Moses probably didn't have a lot of personal direct interactions with Pharaoh, but still he was raised in uh, the halls of power and privilege. Uh, but one day, verse 11 tells us that Moses left his place of privilege and went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. So this wasn't just something that Moses happened to see while he was walking down the street one day. Moses made a deliberate choice to leave his privileged position in Pharaoh's household in order to witness the oppression that his fellow Hebrews were enduring. And he chose to identify himself with God's people even at cost to himself. So verse 11 doesn't say, Moses went out to see one of those people. No, it says, Moses went out to see his people. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brothers. So Moses identified himself with the Hebrews who were being enslaved and oppressed. Uh, now, Moses had been born to Hebrew parents uh, and cared for by them as a young child, but for 36 years he had been raised primarily by Pharaoh's daughter in Pharaoh's household as an Egyptian. Uh, and, Mo and Moses and in fact, he probably had Egyptian clothing and Egyptian hairstyle later on when he goes to Midian. Uh, did you notice the daughters of Ruel first say, an Egyptian helped us. They just assume he's fully Egyptian from probably his clothing and uh, the way his hair looked. Uh, so Moses could have very easily left behind his Hebrew identity or kept it under wraps because in Pharaoh's household, he was on the road to power and success. And the Hebrew people were being enslaved and oppressed, so identifying with them would mean stepping way down on the social ladder and putting himself in a uh, vulnerable position. Um, but Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 24 and 25, uh, puts an emphasis on this fact, and it says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. In other words, Moses made an intentional choice here to witness the oppression of God's people and to identify with those who are being oppressed and wronged. Uh, you know, there are basically two ways that human beings can learn compassion, and neither of them are comfortable. One way to learn compassion is by going through a lot of suffering personally, which is never very fun. The second way to learn compassion is by witnessing other people's suffering and choosing not to run away, not to stay at a safe distance, but to get close enough to that person that you bear some of their burdens with them, that you feel some of the pain and uh, the wrong that they're enduring, that you bear some of the cost yourself. Right? Most likely Moses had never experienced this kind of oppression. Right? Getting beaten, uh, perhaps for no good reason. But Moses didn't walk away from it when he saw it. Instead, he stepped in and he did something about it. Someone said, uh, pity weeps and walks away. Compassion comes to help and stay. God was developing compassion in Moses through this encounter with oppression and through Moses choosing to identify with his people and actually do something to help the person in need. Uh, but then... What does he do? Verse 12. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Uh, now, several Bible scholars have argued that what Moses did here was completely justified. 
Uh, some say God must have told Moses to kill the Egyptian, so he had the authority to do it. Others say the Egyptian was beating the Hebrew man to death, so Moses was justified in defending him. But verse 11 and 12 say neither of those things. Instead, the story gives us a few hints that what Moses did here was not entirely righteous or appropriate. First of all, it was a disproportionate reaction. Verse 12 doesn't say that the Egyptian was beating up the Hebrew, so Moses beat up the Egyptian enough to let the Hebrew guy run away. Uh, and it also doesn't say that Moses was simply trying to restrain the Egyptian and killed him accidentally. No, verse 12 indicates that Moses' act was knowing and premeditated. He knew exactly what he was doing. He looked around, he saw there was nobody, which means nobody else is going to help, so if anybody is going to do something, it's got to be Moses. But also, Moses thought, uh, nobody else is watching, so I can do whatever I want and hope to get away with it. Uh, that didn't work. Verse 14 shows us that word got out. Presumably, the guy who had been rescued told his story. And then in verse 14, when Moses was confronted, notice Moses didn't say, God gave me the authority to do this. Moses didn't say, this man would have died otherwise. I was doing the only thing I could to save his life. Moses is afraid and runs away. Which is an indicate, all of these little hints are an indication that uh, what Moses did fell short of God's standard. It was an act of disproportionate anger and rashness, even though he was rightly concerned and rightly did something. So you see, part of Mo uh, Moses' sort of bumpy road to leadership and part of God shaping us into who he wants us to be uh, involves getting us to face our own brokenness, our own flaws, and our own failures. You know, one of Moses' flaws was disproportionate anger and rashness. And in fact, this comes up later in his life too. Uh, Psalm 106, verse 32 and 33, talks about a time when the people of Israel uh, sort of uh, revolted against Moses and against God and started complaining and quarreling. And it says, they made his spirit bitter and Moses spoke rashly with his lips. So he has the same problem later on in his life. Disproportionate anger and sort of a rash response. Uh, that's an overreaction uh, to a situation where some response was certainly called for, but Moses went overboard and got himself in trouble. So what we see here from the very beginning of Moses' story is that Moses was not a flawless candidate for leadership. The Bible's very honest about the flaws and shortcomings even of the leaders of God's people. And here, uh, Moses' action had some significant and long-term consequences. He had to run away. Uh, he had to stay in Midian in an unfamiliar place for a long time. But here's the encouragement that we can see from this section. God is shaping us into the people that he wants us to become, even through the painful process of getting us to face our own brokenness and flaws and failures. And when that happens, the important thing is that we learn from them and be humbled by them and ask God to help us think and act differently in the future. Uh, later, later on in his life, God would give Moses the task not just of rescuing one Israelite who was being mistreated, but of rescuing a whole nation 
of Israelites who were enslaved and mistreated. An even bigger task. And you see, God didn't say, okay, Moses, you fell short once, I'm done with you. No, he says, I'm training you through this bumpy road. I'm going to shape you into the leader I want you to be. And in, in order to accomplish that task to which he would be called in the future to deliver the entire people of Israel from Egypt, he would need courage, which he had here. He would need compassion, which he also had here, but he would also need self-control where he fell short here. So Moses tries to take matters in his own hands and accomplish salvation in his own way, but it doesn't work. And only later on, after God reveals himself to Moses and calls him in a personal way in the next chapter, only then would God through, work through Moses to deliver his people effectively from oppression. So that's the first bump in the road that Moses experiences, an encounter with oppression. The second bump in the road that Moses experienced uh, was an experience of rejection, verse 13 through 15. So Moses goes out the next day, and he doesn't see another Egyptian beating another Hebrew, which was a pretty common occurrence back then in ancient Egypt. But behold, you notice that word behold? It means look, something surprising, something important is happening here. Two Hebrews were struggling together. One of them was striking the other. Right, you might think, since the Egyptians were ruthlessly oppressing the Hebrews and enslaving them, that the Hebrews would all band together and stick up for each other. But it doesn't always go that way. You ever heard the saying, hurt people hurt people? Right? Sometimes when people are oppressed, they don't only turn on their oppressors, they can turn on each other as well. Sometimes people who have been abused, not always, but sometimes, end up tragically being the ones who also hurt and abuse others, often without fully recognizing what they're doing. And it's tragic, but it's one of the ways that sin perpetuates itself in a fallen world. And that's what's going on here. Two Hebrew brothers who should be sticking up for each other are, have turned on each other. And Moses once again steps in. He acts with courage and compassion, and he tries to correct the one in the wrong and reconcile them to each other. But in verse 14, we see that Moses' intervention was rejected. Moses was rejected not just by the Egyptians, but by his own people. Who made you a prince and a judge over us? In other words, who are you to tell us what we should be doing? You grew up in the palace. We grew up in the street. Why should we listen to you? You just killed the Egyptian yesterday. You about to kill me? That's the tone of verse 14. So Moses was rejected when he was trying to help his brothers, when he was trying to reconcile them to one another. I wonder, have you ever been rejected by someone that you saw and treated as a brother or sister? Perhaps a blood relative, or perhaps a brother or sister in Christ. Often that's the most painful type of rejection. More painful than rejection by hostile opponents. That's what Moses experienced here. Not just opposition from the Egyptians, but opposition from his own people, rejection from his own people. And Moses would have to deal with the same thing later on. When Moses leads the people of Israel out of Egypt and leads them through the desert, multiple times they turn on each other and they turn on Moses. 
And time and time again, Moses has to try to reconcile them and try to correct the ones in the wrong and try to help them function as one united people under God. You see, everything Moses experiences here in chapter 2 is a preview of what he's going to have to deal with later on in even greater measure. So God's shaping Moses, preparing him for the challenges that he would face in the future, even through the rejection he experienced here. But here's what I want you to notice. The rejection that Moses received here did not determine his future. And Stephen makes this point in Acts chapter 7, verse 35. He says, This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. So not right here in the story, but later on, God would make Moses into exactly what the guy in verse 14 said he would never be. In verse 14, the guy says, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? What right do you have to ever tell us what to do? And actually, God would later on raise up Moses to be a compassionate and courageous ruler and judge over the people of Israel to redeem them and lead them out of slavery in Egypt. So if you have experienced rejection, especially from people that you considered brothers or sisters and were trying to help, know that any verdict they have spoken over you is not God's final word about your future. The rejection you have experienced from other people does not determine your future because your future is in God's hands. And he can reverse any rejection that you've received from other human beings. You know, Moses isn't the only leader in the Bible who experiences rejection from his own people. John chapter 1 says, Jesus Christ came unto his own, and his own people did not receive him. And yet God raised up Jesus, the one who had been rejected. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. God raised up Jesus, the rejected one, to be Savior and Lord, ruler and judge over all. So that's the second way God shaped Moses through his experience of rejection. The third way God shaped Moses, the third bump in the road he experienced, was a season of exile. Verse 15 said, Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. As I said, the Midianites were semi-nomadic people. They moved around from place to place, depending on the weather and other circumstances, but their general territory was to the east of Egypt. So Moses would have traveled perhaps three or 400 miles uh, to get there. So this was some distance away in the ancient world particularly. And once again, in this paragraph, verse 16 to 22, we see Moses displaying compassion and courage. We see Moses intervening on behalf of people who are being mistreated. This time, it's a group of uh, young women or girls who were trying to draw water from the well to water their flocks, and some male shepherds come and drive them away and say, you wait, because we're going to be first in line. And Moses says, no, no way. Uh, Moses sticks up for them. And in verse 19... The girls, when they recount this incident to their father, they seem surprised and delighted that someone has helped them, and their father is surprised that they got home so soon. So this is a common occurrence that these young women were experiencing, perhaps even every day when they went to the well. They knew when those shepherd guys come, they're going to make us get in the back of the line, wait until they're all done, 
It's going to take, we're going to have to sit out here in the hot part of the day. But today, someone stepped in and helped them. You see, when Moses was in exile, he was in a rough spot, personally. But notice that he didn't just sit back and wait for someone else to help him or someone else to reach out to him. He took initiative, he saw someone else who was in need, and he took initiative to help them. You know, sometimes when we're in a rough spot, when we've experienced rejection, or when we find ourselves in an unfamiliar place, or when our efforts to help other people in the past have backfired on us, sometimes we can be tempted to just sit back and be passive and not take any initiative uh, to help others. And we might sort of sit and think to ourselves, well, why isn't anybody helping me? But sometimes God's invitation to us in those seasons is to look outside of ourselves and see someone else in need and take initiative to help them in whatever way we can. And look at what God does. He uses the people who Moses helped to help him. Moses finds a home and a wife and starts a family with the very people that he intervened on their behalf to help when he arrived in Midian. So like many other people in the Bible, Moses ends up being fruitful in a foreign land. Now it's not easy to live in a foreign land. Some of you have moved here from other countries. Some of you have known that. Some of you have moved here from other parts of this country and, and I'll, I'll acknowledge New England can sometimes feel like a foreign land. <laughs> but let me say this, the God of the Bible has extensive experience in helping his people to survive and even thrive in foreign lands. So if you're in an uncomfortable place, a challenging place, if you've been rejected, God has a lot of experience in helping you to grow and be strengthened and to find a place to serve. So God shaped Moses through his encounter with oppression, through his experience of rejection, through his season in exile, and finally, Last part, we see God shape Moses through the prayers of his people, verse 23 to 25. Now, verse 23 to 25, the focus shifts from Moses to the people of Israel back in Egypt. And in verse 23 and verse 24, there are four words that describe the children of Israel praying. And they're sort of intense words. They groaned because of their slavery. They cried out for help. Their cry for rescue came up to God and God heard their groaning. Those are actually four different Hebrew words, even though they mean almost the same thing. And so most English translations uh, can only find groan and cry uh, to translate them into English. But they're actually four different Hebrew words that sort of emphasize the depth of oppression that the people were experiencing and the desperateness of their cries uh, unto God. Um, and how in, their, how in their desperation they cried out to God. You know, sometimes people say, God helps those who help themselves. Ever heard that? The Bible never says that. Some people say, do your best, and God will do the rest. You know what? The Bible never says that either. The Bible shows us here and in many other places that God helps those who are helpless and hopeless without him and recognize that and cry out to him for mercy. That's what the Israelites, that's the conclusion that the Israelites came to. We are helpless and hopeless and all we can do is cry out to God for mercy. And, that's, and this is good news. 
Because if you're being physically oppressed or spiritually oppressed, if you have come to the point where you realize, I can't fix my own problems, and no matter how hard I try, I can't take initiative to do enough, but I need God to intervene on my behalf, guess what? He hears and answers the prayers and cries and tears of his people. And verse 24 and 25 show us God's response again with four significant words. God heard, God remembered, God saw, and God knew. So four words that describe the people's desperate situation and four words that describe God's concern and compassion for them. And if you look over the last two chapters, there are only three times that God's name has been mentioned so far in the book of Exodus. God's name is mostly absent from these first two chapters, but at the end of this chapter, God's name is mentioned four times. And each of those verbs emphasizes that God is not absent, and he's not distant, and he's not unconcerned. He wasn't deaf to their cries. He heard them. He hadn't forgotten his promises to Abraham and his family. He remembered them. God was not oblivious to their suffering. He saw, and God was not ignorant or distant. He knew. And as we said last week, when God knows us, it doesn't just mean he knows about us from far away. It means he has committed himself to us and knows us from the inside out. So this chapter isn't just about Moses, how Moses cared to help the children of Israel who are oppressed is about how God cared and how God raised up Moses in response to the prayers of his people. So brothers and sisters, don't ever think that your prayers don't matter. God may not always answer right away, but he hears, he remembers, he sees, and he knows. And sometimes he answers the prayers of his people months or years or even decades later. You know, some of you have been part of this church since many, many years ago long before most of us were here. And some of you were faithfully praying for this church through sometimes long and difficult years. And I think that some of the ways that we are seeing God at work in this church now are in part God's answer to your prayers over many years. So don't give up praying because God hears. God raised up Moses in response to the prayers of his people but the end of this chapter reminds us that Moses is not the main character in this story. It's God. Exodus isn't primarily about how Moses became a great leader and how Moses taught the people God's law and how Moses built the tabernacle. It's how God took an imperfect and broken vessel, a man with flaws, with weaknesses, with failures, and God shaped him for his glory. And that's what God is doing with us. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for how you raised up Moses to deliver the children of Israel. And we thank you for how you shaped him through this winding path that you took him on. And Lord, we pray that you would be shaping us and helping us to receive the ways that you are seeking to shape and form us to become more like Jesus. Help us, Lord, even when we, when we see oppression, not to distance ourselves from it, but to take steps to wade in and show compassion. Help us when we are confronted with our own flaws or failures 
to learn and be humbled and grow from them. Help us when we've experienced rejection from other people to not, uh, not believe that that is the last word and know that your word is more enduring than any verdict other people have spoken over us. And Lord, help us when we are in exile in one way or another to experience your presence with us and to become fruitful as you enable us. Lord, thank you that you hear and answer the prayers and cries of your people. Thank you that we can, that, that the same God who delivered the children of Israel from Egypt is the same God who we worship today. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.